As we've been going through our Bible reading plan, one of my favorite stories out of the book of Numbers is when they grumble about no water and no food to Moses. And this is like the second, third, or fourth time they've grumbled. And God's had enough, and so God sends the worst thing he's ever created. He sends venomous snakes upon them. Uh, Snakes are the worst creature ever created, amen? And he sends these venomous snakes, and they're biting the Israelites, and this is... uh, This is retribution. This is righteous judgment upon a people who have rebelled against God. And when they get bit, they're dying. And so uh, they go to Moses and they say, Moses, will you please intercede for us and ask God to be gracious for the umpteenth time? Will you ask him to give us mercy once again? So Moses goes to the Lord and he intercedes for him. And God tells Moses to create a pole and to fasten a, a serpent, a bronze serpent, on the pole so that... When anyone is bit by a venomous snake, they can look to the pole, and then the Bible says, and they will live. They will be healed. And I'm here to tell you that there was nothing uh, magical about this pole. The reason they were healed is because God gave them an instruction and said, place your faith in me, that if you're humble enough to look outside of yourself, and humble enough to look for me, or to look to my my answer, my solution, then I shall heal you. It was the Lord healing them, amen? It was nothing magical about it. It was a promise and fulfillment. The Lord saying, I will do this, and if you have faith in me, in what I am doing, then you shall live. That story really resonated with me as I was reading Romans, because what Paul is doing in Romans 1, 2, and 3 is he is letting the entire humanity know we've all been bitten by the snake of sin. Each and every one of us have been bitten by sin, and we are guilty of righteous wrath, righteous judgment, righteous judgment, righteous retribution. God is a righteous God to pour out his wrath upon all of our ungodliness, all of our unrighteousness, all of our rebellion. And, and, and this is part of the good news. Remember 116, uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to whoever believes, first to the Jew and also the Gentile. For in the gospel, for in it, the righteousness of God has been revealed from faith to faith. The the right standing with God has been made available for us. Verse 118, also, or for for in it also, the wrath of God has been revealed. So the gospel is the good standing with God married to the wrath that we do deserve. And when you put together God's righteous offer of salvation with the wrath that we deserve, then the church says hallelujah to the beauty of the gospel. For once I was blind, but now I see. I once was a wretched sinner, but now I am a holy saint. What Paul's doing in Romans 1, 2, and 3 is he's letting everyone know that part of the gospel is that you have been bitten by sin. And you are worthy of death. And if he can get you to admit that, then you'll have the humility necessary when we get to chapter 3 and 4 to understand that it is through Christ alone that you can be saved. No one needs to be saved until they're drowning. Amen? You know, no one needs a life vest until it's too late. No one wants to wear their seatbelt until someone's already dead. And so what Paul's doing right now is he's saying, you're already going to wreck. You're already going to drown. You're already heading towards death. And here it is. Here's the good news of Jesus, chapters 3 and 4. So far in Romans, I, I preach that the wicked humanity is guilty before God. That those who have seen creation and come to the realization there is a creator, but they suppress the truth of a creator in order to pursue their idolatry, 
guilty. Pastor Calvin helped us understand the moral person who knows God's truth but rejects it and thinks they can work their way or they can be good enough to earn it, that person also is what? Guilty. And then today, Paul's going to up his game. He's going from wicked humanity to moral person, and today we get the Jew. Now, folks, this is a big battle because the Jewish faith claims the same God that Paul claims. The Jewish faith claims a rich heritage with God, amen, dating back centuries to Father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through Moses and the Exodus, through Joshua and the conquest, through King David and the, the years of prosperity and victory and military conquest. Folks, to convince the Jew that they are guilty for God is a whole nother ball game. Amen? What we're going to see today that Paul's strategy to convince the Jews that they are guilty is he needs to let them know that the privileges they have been given as God's chosen people are not shields to keep them from experiencing God's wrath. The only thing that will guard you, the only thing that will shield you from the wrath you deserve is faith in Jesus Christ alone. It is not your heritage. It is not that you are Abraham's descendants. It's not that you have Moses in your history. It's not that Joshua led the conquest. It's not that Hezekiah rediscovered God's word. It's not that God built a temple in Jerusalem. None of that stuff can shield you from the wrath that you deserved you. Because despite all of your privileges, you've had tons of personal failure. You have mocked God, and you have blasphemed his name. Paul's going to bring a heavy argument today, and let's jump right into it. If I do my job well, you're going to see that God's people are not shielded from God's wrath against their unrighteousness by external markers. That's the best word I could think of. External markers would be signs of the covenant or promises or, or acts that God has done. So for the Christian, it would be baptism. And for the Christian, it may be owning a Bible. Or for the Christian, it may be wearing a cross around their neck. We are not shielded from God's wrath because of anything externally, but rather we are shielded or we are forgiven from God's wrath strictly based on our faith in who? Jesus Christ. Let us jump in and follow Paul's argument this morning. Paul says in verse 17, he turns the attention to the Jew. He says, now if you call yourself a Jew. So notice we've went from the moral person, Pastor Calvin's sermon, to now a Jew. If you call yourself a Jew. Well, Paul, what is a Jew? Can you help me understand this? Paul gives us three privileges that the Jewish nation was given as God's chosen people. They were given the reliance on the law. What do we mean by the reliance on the law? Well, God saved them out of Egypt. He saved them. He literally redeemed them. He delivered them. The salvation of Israel happened the night of the Passover. Amen? They put the blood on the door, and when the angel of death came, if the blood was there, they were what? They were passed over. Passover is the deliverance of Israel. When they're walking through the Red Sea, they've already been what? Technically saved from God. Now they're being delivered out, and when they get out into the wilderness... They're no longer looking for salvation. They're looking for sanctification. Wait, if God took us his possession, if God has redeemed us, if God has delivered us from Egypt, and now God is saying this, I will be your God and you will be my people, how in the world is God going to make us his people? God gives them the what? The law. They rely on the law in order for God to rebuild them individually and corporately into the image of God. The law was given so that God's people actually reflect the God that saved them. And is that a privilege they got that no other nation got? Yes. 
We call that special revelation. It's, it's God revealing himself to specific people at a specific time in a specific location that may not be universal. Listen, the Babylonians didn't get this. The Assyrians didn't get this, all right? The Romans didn't get this. None of those nations got it. It was the Israelites that got the law of God that gave them the, 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 the blueprint on how to be godly. The second thing they got is they got to boast in God. What other nation gets to walk around and say, God delivered us from the Egyptians. God conquered all of Canaan and gave it to us. God has done miracles. He made quail come from the sky. He made water come from a rock. He gave David prosperity that no one's ever seen. We conquered the Ninevites, the Chigarbites, the Jezubites. We conquered all of them. Because God is on whose side? And there, there's truth to that. God was on their side because God needed a people group to represent him on earth. So they get to boast that they are God's people. That is a good thing. It is okay to boast in what God has done in your life. Amen, church? It's okay. So they rely on God's law. They get to boast in God. And then thirdly, get this. They get to know the will. This is right from your Bible, verse 18. They get to know God's will and approve the things that are superior. Well, how do they do that, pastor? We're right back to the law, being instructed by the law. God informed them on what is righteous and unrighteous, what is clean and unclean, what is good and what is bad. God was able to show them what was wisdom and what was foolishness. They got to see and they got to experience the discernment and wisdom of God revealed in written form to them. Boy, is that something to be proud of? Is that a privilege that this nation's been given? If you call yourself a Jew, well, what's a Jew? Do you rely on the law to make you like God? Do you boast in what God has done for you? And do you know his will and his discernment because he's revealed himself to your nation? Then you're a Jew. But verse 19 reminds us that with great privilege came great purposes. They were not taught for their, just for their own sake. They were taught so they would teach. It was revealed to them so they would preach it. They were supposed to be the guide of all humanity. Look at verse 19. And if you who are convinced that you are a guide, so he's going to now give us five rhetorical statements, and I just want you to pay attention to what he calls the nation of Israel. If you are convinced that you're a guide for the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor to the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the embodiment of the knowledge and truth in the law. Notice he gives you five statements of what the Jew is here. Look what their purpose is in creation. The Jewish nation should have been what? A guide for the blind humanity. They should have been a light for those who were in darkness. They should have been an instructor for those who didn't have the law and were in ignorance. They should have been a teacher for the immature. They should have embodied the knowledge and truth of the law. See, the giving of the law was a privilege, but it was also had a missional purpose. And, and don't think of missional like we think of Great Commission, where in the New Testament, God is sending out his disciples, going to the ends of the earth. In the Old Testament, it was a little bit different. The missional idea in the Old Testament was God was going to build and construct a nation, a country, in such wisdom and discernment that the rest of the world would look upon them and they would ask this question, what God built that civilization? And when the answer was Yahweh of the Bible... Yahweh of the Exodus, Yahweh of the conquest of Joshua, Yahweh of King David. When the world looked upon the nation of Israel, they would say what? I want that God too. 
They were supposed to be a light in darkness. They were supposed to be a teacher to the ignorant. They were supposed to be a guide to the blind. You see what he's saying here? Look, you had great privileges. You had great purpose in life. And then he gets them here. Verse 21. You then who teach another, don't teach yourself. You know, if you were reading this as a Jew, man, that first part of that sermon was great. You're like, man, Paul, I am a special person. And then Paul, like a great Southern Baptist preacher, turns the table and says what? If this is what God wanted to make you, then why in the world are you not doing it? You then who teach another, don't teach yourself. You who preach, you must not steal, steal. You who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob temples? What's Paul saying here? Paul is letting them know that the law said don't do this, yet even the ones who had the privilege of having the law are the ones still breaking the law. Paul is letting them know that their privilege and their purpose have not been honored. See, when you enter into a covenant with God, even with Abraham, when you enter into a covenant with God, God does a lot of work, and God does a lot of things on our behalf. If you remember Abraham, only one person walked through the split animals. It was not Abraham who walked down promising to make the, the covenant uh, faithful and righteous. Who walked? A light went down the middle of it, symbolizing God, because it is God who makes all of our covenants good and faithful. Amen? But our job is to, to what? Place our faith in that. Our job is to place our trust in God. And the big question we always have, and you've probably had it too, is, how do we know if one is trusting God? How do we, want, how do we know if they really believe the deal God's made with them? Well, what we say here at Journey Baptist Church is, if the root is faith, if what really starts everything is the faith, the gospel seed is planted, and then it grows into a root, we place our faith in the gospel, and that root is grown. Well, if there's a root, then there's going to be some. And what Paul is saying is, you claim to be God's people. You claim to have the law. You boast in God. You know God's will and discernment. You're supposed to be a light to the nations. Genesis 12. You will be a blessing to the nations. If they bless you, I will bless them. Oh, Exodus 19, you will be a kingdom of priests in my holy nation. And you know what that means? They will be a light to the nations, to open up blind eyes, to bring prisoners out of, of the dungeons. The, Isaiah 49, you are to be a light for the nation, a salvation to the ends of the earth. If you're supposed to be that, why in the world are you stealing? Why in the world are you robbing temples? Why in the world are you committing adultery? And you know what the answer is? Because they really don't believe in the covenant they hold. Great privileges, great purposes, but personal violation shows they really don't have faith in God. Because if there is no fruit, then we're going to start questioning if there's a fruit. And look what he asked him here. These aren't, all three of these condemnations come out of the Ten Commandments. All right? You say don't steal. Do you steal? And rhetorically, Paul's wanting them to say what? Yeah, we have stolen. Uh, do not steal is commandment number eight. Do you commit adultery? Well, yeah, there's, pe there's people in the Jewish nation that commit adultery, yeah. Well, you shall not commit adultery, number seven. Do you rob temples of idols or idol temples? What Paul's saying here is this. You preach against hating idolatry. You preach against hating idols. Unless you can make a dollar about it. The greatest example nowadays would be, let's say that you're a scrapper. All right, you collect all this scrap in the world. You know who gives the best scrap? 
that sexual and moral temple down the street. And as long as they give me their medal, and as long as I can make a dollar off of them, I'm okay with it. I'm all right with it. You know what? I vote yes to casinos because point zero 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 one percent going to get on my education. I hate gambling. I hate that families are destroyed. I hate that fathers are at. I hate poverty. I hate payday loans. But I vote yes because I can make point zero 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 one percent for our school district. Praise the Lord. Amen. You guys preach against gambling, but I I bet many of us probably voted yes for that casino. That's what he's saying here. You preach against idolatry. You preach, but you rob their temples. You're getting some kind of profit from them. You're getting some kind of resources. Hey, maybe you run a sandwich shop, and the cheapest place to get meat is to buy their old sacrifices. Me and Calvin would think that way. Calvin, rather than buying the meat down the street, let's go up to the old pagan temple. They sell it 10 cents on the dollar. We'll slice it up and sell it to Jews, and they'll never know. Privilege, purpose. But then Paul gets them, but personal disobedience before God. Personal disobedience before God. Look what he says in 23. He says, you who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? And now verse 24 is one of the most straightforward verses against Judaism of the first century. For as it is written, the name of God is blaspheming among the Gentiles because of you. That's a quote out of Isaiah 52 or Ezekiel 36. Both prophets say this, that you are sent into exile. God had to send you into exile because of the poor morality you had. And you know, when, when God's people get sent into exile, you know whose name is ultimately hurt? God's name. When God has to punish his own people, it brings dishonor to him. And Jews, the way you're living, you are blaspheming the name of God. You're walking around, we rely on God. We boast in God. We have the law. We know his will. We know his discernment. We know clean and unclean. We know righteous and unrighteous. And at the same time, your lifestyle does not mirror that. You're not doing what you preach. You're not doing what you say. Your lifestyle is the exact opposite. You're stealing when you can steal. You're committing adultery when you commit adultery. And if you can get that cheap meat from the temple, by golly, get it. You're blaspheming. You know... It's number three commandment. Your bulletin says four. I wrote the bulletin. It's really three. Do not take the Lord's name in. That doesn't just mean don't say his name when you stubbed your toe. It also means if you claim his name, your lifestyle better honor his nature. And the Jews are guilty of that. You know, the, the, easiest, the easiest thing I can think of is many of you may not know this. You've got to have a fishing license to go fishing, all right? So if, if I want to go fishing, if you're between the ages of 16 and 64, you, get to go fi you have to get a fishing license. 64 and up, you get a free one, which I don't understand because you can afford it finally because you don't have kids anymore. But us who have kids have to buy a fishing license even though they want us to take our kids what? Fishing. It's like baseball blacking out home games. Not the greatest marketing, okay? So you have to get a license, okay? And when you get a license, you get the privilege of going fishing, all right? But when you get a fishing license, you're agreeing that you'll only have 33 or less hooks in the water at one time. You're also agreeing, you're also agreeing that you'll only keep certain fish that are this length or you'll only keep so many fish every day. You're also agreeing on what kind of bait you'll use. You can't use chemical, shock therapy, or explosives to kill the fish. 
So when you get a fishing license, it's kind of like a deal between you and the conservation. Just because you have the license does not shield you from the expectations on how you're supposed to fish. Amen? And if you break that, what can they do? They can take your license and they can prosecute you according to the law. You know what he's telling the Jews right here? Just because you're in possession of God's law doesn't keep God from prosecuting you according to that law. Having possession of the law does not shield them from God's wrath. If anything, it makes them more guilty. Amen? A fishing license. Last night we went fishing. The game warden came down the parking lot, and my kids were like, what's a game warden? I'm like, well, he makes sure that you're not keeping certain fish or that you're not fishing the wrong way. And if you are, he takes your license, and he can fine you. Listen, just because I have a license doesn't give me all the freedom in the world to live however I want. When I get that license, I need to honor the conservation department that gave me that license. And when, when you have the law, Jew... When you're going to boast about it and say you're God's people, by golly, maybe you should live that way. And just so you know, Jew, that law does not shield you from the wrath of God. Possession, personal failure, prosecution, and then ultimately punishment. For us in this room, I just want to remind you, possessing God's word having access to God's word, or owning God's word, or putting God's word on your wall at home, or posting good little sayings on Facebook about God's word, or having God's word on the back of your obituary, that's always my favorite, is not beneficial when it comes from keeping you from experiencing the wrath of God. Just owning this thing, or having it on your nightstand, or having it in your house, or here's one, I have grandma's Bible. Grandma's Bible is going to do nothing for you unless you open it, read it, understand it, apply it, and then that root of belief ultimately leads to fruit of obedience. Having this thing around you is not going to shield you from the wrath of God. Having these words on your wall does not make your house all of a sudden holy. Putting a bumper sticker doesn't all of a sudden make you a, saint, a saintful driver, a driver that, I can't get that one. Alright? Having a tattoo of God's word does nothing for you. You need to read it, and understand it, and apply it, and put your belief in the message it preaches. And when you do that, by golly, God's spirit will enable you to live a life that honors him. My second point today is that the sign of circumcision will not shield the Jew either. Verse 25. He keeps going. He's already poked at him about God's law. Now he's going to get Father Abraham. Uh, circumcision was given to Abraham in, in Genesis either 12 or 15. It was given to Abraham as a sign of the covenant. Now if you don't know what the word covenant is, think about a deal or an arrangement between God and people. A contract. But the difference between a contract is me and another human can have a contract. A covenant is between God and people, all right? So this deal of this covenant made with Abraham was that if Abraham believed God and, and trusted him and put his faith in him, God was going to do great things through him. And so God says, you're going to circumcise you and all of your children uh, as a sign that you belong to me. So the circumcision was an external sign that marked out God's people. Paul's going to go after it. Verse 25, circumcision benefits you, oh man, I bet the Jews wish he stopped there, if you observe the law. But if you are a lawbreaker, and he just said they were by his three rhetorical questions, if you're a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become what, church? 
one who is not bearing the fruit of God's people, we should then assume the root is not God's people either. Your, your, your lifestyle is showing that while you have the sign of being God's people, you don't have the heart of being God's people. Oh, he continues on here. He says in verse uh, 26, So if an uncircumcised man keeps the law's requirements, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? Wait a minute, are you saying that someone who's not an ethical Jew can keep the law? And that if, an un, if, a, if, a, if one who's not an ethical Jew keeps the law, all of a sudden he is a Jew in the sense of being God's people? And Paul's going to say in a couple of verses, yes I am. I'm going to say in a couple of verses, Paul's going to say, it really doesn't matter what external sign you have, either you have circumcision of the heart and you are God's people or you don't. But his reasoning here, first he says, your disobedience eliminates the meaning of the sign. Now it's, and their obedience shows that it's not really necessary anymore. And then he goes down to verse 27. A man who is physically uncircumcised, but who keeps the law, here comes another punch, will judge you who are a lawbreaker in spite of having the letter of the law and circumcision. A man who physically is uncircumcised, a non-Jew by ethnicity, one who does not have a physical circumcision, but one who shows fruit of being God's people, will judge you who are a lawbreaker in spite of having those signs. Now when Paul says we'll judge, we know that there is only one judge. The book of Acts says that he had, Acts 17, he has chosen a judge for the living and the dead by the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. There's one judge. So what he means by they will judge you is, that these Gentile non-Jews that produce fruit of godliness will be evidence against the Jews. That the problem wasn't God's willingness. The problem was their belief and obedience. The problem with the Jews is not God's willingness to save the nation. God sent Jesus first to the Jew and then to the... The problem is not God. And when we get to heaven one day, and the Jewish nation is crying out, and saying they're a victim, and saying that it was not fair, and we had the law, and we have Father Abraham, and we have Moses, and God says, but I didn't have your heart. What do you mean you didn't have my heart? Well, look at these Gentiles who did live according to the law, and who did honor me because they placed their faith in me. We're going to get there in a minute. In my opinion... These Gentiles are Gentile Christians. Paul's writing after Jesus, and what he's going to do in a very roundabout way is he's going to say this. Every Christian will bear testimony against the Jew that they rejected the Messiah, and in return rejected the Holy Spirit, and that's why they're not bearing fruit, and they will go to hell. That's my opinion. Because I don't think any Gentile on their own can keep the law perfectly. Amen? I don't think any man can. We already had that. Romans 1, Romans 2. Pastor Calvin talked about it. So I think what he's doing here is he's talking about a, a Christian here, which I'll get to in a minute, but just understand as I'm going through it, the one he's talking about here is a Christian who has the Spirit in him and by the Spirit is producing. One day, Christians will be the testimony against the Jewish nation. Verse 28 is the punchline here. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly. See that? You are, when you hear the word Jew, don't think ethnicity. Think God's people. For a person is not God's people who is one outwardly. We're not looking for circumcision. We're not looking for a cross around your neck. We're not looking for Bible verses on your wall. That's not what we're looking for. True circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. 
It's not something external, not something done to your body. On the contrary, a person is God's people who is one inwardly in the spiritual realm and has been circumcised, and circumcision is of the heart. Now listen to who does this circumcision, folks. This is why I think it's a Christian. The circumcision of the heart is by the, by the Spirit. So this whole, he's been contrasting this Gentile, this Jew, this Gentile, this Jew. If this uncircumcised man keeps the law, is he going to be considered God's people? Yes, he is. And the reason he is, is because he's been circumcised, not by human hands, but by the Spirit. And not by the letter of the law. He has not worked his way to God. He has, not, he has not lived perfectly before God. No, it is by the Spirit that he has been circumcised. And that person's praise is not from people, but from God. See, the whole idea of circumcision of the heart is not new to the Jews. This is something we, we, we need to understand. In Deuteronomy 10, God gets on this big rant about how they need to walk in his ways. They need to love him. They need to worship him. They need to love him with all his heart and all their soul. They need to keep the Lord's commands. They need to, they need to pursue God. And then he says this in verse 16 of Deuteronomy 10. Therefore, circumcise your hearts and don't be stiff-necked any longer. God knew that the only way we can keep God's standards is by humbly depending on who? Circumcision of the heart almost seems to be like this, this humble admission that we are a wretched sinner in need of a Savior, not only to, to redeem us, but also to rebuild us. Circumcision of the heart is this idea that I can never live for God on my own merits. So God, I need you to help me so that I can honor you. He says in Deuteronomy 30, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants. And then you will love him with all your heart and with all your soul so that you will live. Jeremiah 4, we're talking centuries later. Jeremiah 4, circumcise yourself to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, men of Judah and residents of Jerusalem. Otherwise, if you don't have humility of the heart and dependency on God, my wrath will break out like a fire and burn with no one to extinguish it because of your evil deeds. So all through the Old Testament, he's pleading with them to have humility of the heart, to be circumcised, to give their heart to God and allow God to lead them in holiness. And then one of the most amazing passages is Ezekiel 36, where God promises that one day he will do this on their behalf. Verse 25, Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. He will wash us of our sin. He will cleanse us from our impurities. I will cleanse you from your purities and all of your idols. I, the Lord, will give you a new heart, and I, the Lord, will put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and idolatry and rebellion, and I will give you a heart of flesh and humility. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Folks, the promise of Ezekiel 36 was the fulfillment of Acts chapter 2. You know, this is Pentecost Sunday. This is... 49, 48 days roughly after Easter, where we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the coming of the Holy Spirit was a promise of the Old Testament that when the Spirit comes, we will individually be indwelt, and God will take out our rebellious, stony old hearts, and He will give us hearts that love Him and are humble before Him and dependent on Him, and we will love Him in a way that God's people have never been able to love Him. Today's the day we celebrate that anniversary of God sending his spirit and, and rebuilding us. 
What God is offering you in this room, sinner, if you're sitting here as an unsaved individual, God is not saying to you, well, just, just, just own a Bible. Just get a cross necklace. Just get some words. Just, just have these little tokens around your house. Go get a statue of Mary and bury it in your house, all right? That's not what he's saying. What God is saying today is this. You are a wretched sinner, and nothing on the outside will ever fix the problem you have because the problem you have is a heart that rebels against me. And the only solution is for you to believe that Jesus died on the cross so that I could forgive you and take out your heart of rebellion and give you a heart of righteousness. So that you can love me and follow me and adhere to my law. Because without you obeying and following me and loving me, without that fruit, we all know that there is no root. So the offer God makes you today if you're unsaved is he's offering you a new heart. He's offering you his spirit inside of you. He's offering you the ability to honor him and love him and enjoy him. He's offering to make you a new person. And he's doing all of this in Christ, by Christ, through Christ and for Christ. See, Jew, your law does not shield you from the wrath of God. See, Jew, your circumcision does not shield you from the wrath of God. You know what will shield someone, what will redeem someone? is circumcision of the heart. He'll unpack this more in Romans 3, 25 through chapter 4, verse 25. So I won't have to take that 35 extra minutes to explain. So just stay with us. But what you need to understand today, folks, is no external sign or token is ever going to get you right with God. Listen, you can get baptized a thousand times, but if that baptism is just a re religious ritual, it's doing you no good. You can join every Southern Baptist church, all 53,000 of them, but if all it is is a religious uh, token or step, it's doing you no good today. You can be at church every Sunday, and you can sit in a pew, and you can have the token of church attender 90% of the time, but that token is going to do you nothing when you stand before God. No external tokens is going to shield you from the wrath that you've stored up for yourself. But one thing will, and that's a Savior named Jesus Christ who took your wrath upon himself and died so you could be forgiven. So get rid of your tokens. It's like this. Just because you own a boat and a fishing rod does not make you a fisherman. Amen? I wish I had a boat and a fishing rod, but it doesn't make you one. Just because you own equipment, exercise equipment, does not make you fit. Just because you own a cricket, this is old school, doesn't make you a scrapbooker. Amen, women? Amen. Just because you own cat toys and, and dog toys doesn't mean you own a cat or a dog. These tokens are useless. What really matters is the reality of it. And the reality is this, that you are a wretched sinner standing before a righteous God. And the only thing that matters is this, will you accept his good news? His good news is this, you've been bitten by a snake called sin and you're going to die in that sin. But if you will look upon Jesus Christ and place your faith in him, you shall live and he will move into your heart. He will circumcise it. He will bring about humility and honor and obedience. And you will start producing this fruit and he will be your God and you will be his people. And that's the joy of the good news today. And then, folks, we all can say that we do boast in God as Christians. 1 Corinthians 1.33 it, it is not from him that you are in Christ Jesus who be, it is from him that you who are in Christ Jesus, who became the wisdom from God for us. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our sanctification. Jesus is our redemption. In order that, as it is written, 
May all of God's people say, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to unpack your message of Romans. And Father, today we looked at the case against the Jew. Father, many of us are not Jews in this room, but Father, some of us may be nominal Christians in America. We may be Christian in name. We may be Christian by the tokens we have in our life. But Father, we know that that will not suffice. That is not good enough on the day of judgment. That is not good enough to get us eternal life that begins now. So Father, I pray for everyone in this room that they would cast aside their tokens and pursue righteousness through faith alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I had a line in here that really stuck with me. I want to save it for this time right now. And it goes like this. Belonging to God and sign without sincerity is really superficial. Belonging to God and sign only without sincerity of the heart is superficial. And what I mean by that is this. Without true, genuine, heartfelt love and loyalty for God, all of this thing we call religion and Southern Baptist life and Christianity in America is superficial. Following God in sign only and not sincerity of heart is superficial. I want you to wrestle with that as Stacy plays. I don't know what God's going to do with that in your life, but that's, that's kind of where I'd really, my pointed application today, if you had to summarize where I've been kind of poking and prodding you like a doctor does, that's it. Now, for some of you, this may be the call of salvation. Hey, I, I don't have, I've never had that, but today I do. I really do want to love God. For some of you Christians in here, you have put your trust more in signs than sincerity of late. You need to repent and return to the Lord. You need to get out of habitual patterns and a lifestyle and get back to just genuine following of the Lord. Open that Bible, begin praying again, begin fellowshipping and discipleship. Get back to what really matters. But that's, that's where I want you to wrestle with. Following God in sign only, without sincere of the heart, is superficial.